0: So, uh, again, if you're new, um, we've been going through the book of James the past few weeks, and we're going to be going through the book of James through the rest of the summer. Uh, And a lot of people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And if you read James um, kind of all the way through, you can see why. It's just kind of like one wise saying after another, right? One practical insight after another, very similar to the book of Proverbs. And um, so far in James 1, we've been told a couple of really wise things already, right? The first sermon, first week we went to James, we were told to count it all joy when we face trials, because we know that trials... Uh, for people who trust in God, that they work for our good. Um, we're also told to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, that definitely sounds like a proverb, right? Um, and then in verse 22 of chapter 1, we hear what is kind of James' I would argue, main point in the entire book. Um, we're told to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so that, that phrase, be, hear, uh, be doers of the word, not only hearers, kind of sets the tone for the rest of James and the rest of our time in James throughout the summer. Everything you read in James should kind of be just put through that lens of be doers of the word, not hearers only. And then last week we heard Pastor Mike preach on this idea that that, that pure religion is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And I think think James mentions this right before our passage um, on purpose, because I think society at large back then was inclined not to care very well for orphans and widows. And I think I would argue to some extent that's continued to this day. And so this leads us right into our passage where James tells us to show no partiality. Show no partiality. And so I was thinking about this, um, just this past week, past two weeks, a couple of ways I've been partial in my own life or seen partial, partiality play out in the church came to mind. Um, one of them, uh, I, I was part of a CG here at Brookline a few years ago. Um, a really great CG. A lot of my best friends, best memories in Boston kind of circulate around that CG. We were um, the kind of CG that... We did everything together. right? We, we went on vacations together. We had CG retreats together. Um, we hung out all the time. We were just in each other's lives a ton. right? And even the way we loved each other, the way we communicated care, um, the way we worked through conflict, um, we just all did that decently well. right? But when I look back, the thing that kind of stands out that that's interesting to me is that we were all relatively the same in a lot of ways. right? So we we're kind of in, all in the same stage of life. And part of that's because we all lived in Alston. So shout out to Alston, kind of the Usually the single folks with a lot more time area. Uh, I don't mean that. It's a little bit true, okay? Uh, we, we, we all lived in Alston, and, and we all just had time together. Um, we were all kind of young professionals, right? Not too far removed from college. Um, there was one or two married uh, couples, but they didn't have kids. And so it just enabled us to be around each other a lot more, spend a lot more time together. And like I said, the way we communicated and, and, and showed care to each other was kind of all the same. And these were genuine relationships, like I love those people, and and these are genuine relationships, but I do remember um, one woman joined the group after the CG was well-established that didn't quite fit that mold. She wasn't necessarily a young professional, Um, she didn't necessarily communicate care the same way we did, and in fact, even just the tangible what do you want to do today type of thing, she answers that very differently than the rest of our CG. And so you can imagine kind of how hard it might have been for her to step into a CG that is not just completely different than, than her in some ways, but just like has been doing that for a long time. But right? to her credit, she did, she did try to kind of step in and do things alongside us. And, and even more to her credit, she invited us into the way she expressed care, into the way she liked to kind of hang out or, or, or do things in life. But because it wasn't the way our group functioned historically, because it wasn't the way that you know I as an individual or anyone else as an individual functioned, no one really took her up on that. Not very often. And so there are another, uh, a lot of other factors at play, but this person eventually left the church. And I have to imagine that CG and the way things went definitely kind of uh, helped push that along. Another scenario I can think about years ago when Code Brookline first started, um, a black woman came into the church, walked in, and, and at this point in our history, we, we, we were kind of far off the mark of being a multicultural, uh, multi-ethnic church. Not that we're there now. Uh, But we were far off the mark, and she walked in week one, sat down, worshipped, left. No one said a word to her. Week two, she comes back, comes in, sits down, worships, hears the sermon, prays with all of us. No one says a word to her. She leaves. Week three, she comes back. Finally, someone talks to her. It's another black woman. They talk about how no one's talking to them. No one said hi to them. Week three, they sit down. They worship. They hear the word. They pray with us. They leave. Week four. Finally, finally, someone comes up and says hello. And this this person, she was uh, she stuck around. She became a member of the church. She was a really beloved person of our church and a very faithful Christian. And she finally told us eventually, like this happened. You know, when she first came to the church, and she was like, "Yeah, this 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 sucked. Like that was hard." And again, there are more factors at play, but she eventually left the church too. And so I think when you consider these two examples, it shows that partiality is not some small, petty thing. Right? It's not some minor thing that maybe we need to worry about a little later in life, or a little, when we figure out some other things first. Right? There are maybe more serious sins we might be tempted to think. But I think what James is trying to say, what these two examples point to, is this idea that partiality is more dangerous than you think. That's kind of our main idea for the day. Partiality is more dangerous than you think. The Greek word used for partiality translates as receiving the face. And so it's this idea that you're judging someone at face value and then acting on that judgment, on that judgment of face value. A lot of other translations use the word favoritism. Um, Some use discrimination. One translation poses it as a really hard-hitting question that kind of knocked me in the gut. Um, It says, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor favor? some people over others. How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And James, he wants to make sure that his readers understand what he's talking about, right? So he gives an example, verses 2 through 4. You'll see an example of partiality uh, played out, right? So he paints this picture of of two two men walking into um, a, a gathering of Christians of some sorts. We're not sure if it's a church or a house church or a small group setting, but two men walk in. One of them is wearing poor clothes. Uh, he looks poor, right? He has his clothing that's torn up. It's maybe dirty. Maybe he smells a bit. And then another man walks in, and, and he's the opposite of that, right? He, he probably looks put together. He's wearing rich clothes. He's got the Gucci belt on, right? He's wearing a gold ring. The gold ring back then signified wealth. And these, these Christians, and in this example, they go out of the way for the rich man, right? But it seems they go up to him first and, and interact with him first and say, oh, come, come sit at this great seat, this, this place of honor. You, you come sit here. And, and the, the poor man, I have to imagine, maybe he comes in and he's just—he's kind of standing in the, in the back and um, just you know, kind of waiting for someone to, to say anything to him, to, to talk to him. And then finally someone come up, comes up to him and it's, hey, go sit in this uh, spot of lesser value. Go sit at the, the feet of someone, which is something servants would have done back then. And so the Christians in this example, again, without knowing anything about either man, except for what they're wearing, they make distinctions. And I think most of us can understand this, right? This this letter that James wrote is written 2,000 years ago, but this example isn't too far removed for us to not understand what's going on, right? Maybe some of you have made distinctions like that yourselves. Another example that maybe is a little more relevant, let's just say two people walk into this church. One of them is a a VP, um, a high-ranking executive in the field that you want to either go into or uh, be in, and and she's just really good at her job, and she could pay dividends for your career. And then another person walks in, and it's a church member that you know well, have known for a long time, and this is the person that always asks you to pray for their mom's sister's, best friend's cat. And this person is always anxious and, and sharing those things with you. And you know this person needs care and attention, but in that scenario, who are you more tempted to talk to? Who are you more tempted to engage with? And so again, with this example, both examples, James is really concerned about this issue, right? because again, partiality is more dangerous than you think. So a few things to guide our time to get time today. Um, we're going to consider the desires and dangers of partiality. Desires and dangers. We're going to consider two desires. So answer the question, um, when we're partial towards people, what are we actually desiring in the first place? Why are we inclined to be partial? We're going to consider one of the desires that's expressed in the example that James gives, and then we're going to consider another desire that I think we just see more commonly in our culture right now or in our church right now. And then three dangers. So we'll look at the dangers of partiality. We'll answer the question, why is partiality wrong in the first place? What are the consequences? Two desires, three dangers. So earlier in chapter 1, James tells us that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So when it comes to the sin of partiality, it begs the question, what are we desiring? And there are a lot of good... Responses to that, and it could be different for each person. But to kind of paint two really broad categories, I think the first is comfort. We desire comfort, and I think the second is kind of a self-gain, self-benefit, advancement type of thing that maybe you can kind of understand that was happening in the example James gives: comfort and self-gain. Comfort. Um, so the example I gave in my CG earlier, we were really comfortable with each other. Right, the way we communicated, the way we interacted. Um, it was comfortable. It was enjoyable. We did not have to try very hard. Right? We didn't want our nice, already established CG to have to kind of bend over backwards or try in any way to make someone else feel welcome, especially someone that was different than us. Right? We wanted to do, enjoy each other, and we wanted to do what we wanted to do without someone else bothering us. So in being partial towards each other, we were actually seeking the comfort it provided to some extent. So then the natural question is, is it possible that you surrounded yourself with people that are like you just to remain comfortable? Are you partial towards people that think like you, look like you, talk like you, just to remain comfortable? And not only do you seek comfort, we actually seek to avoid discomfort. Right? That's, that's another kind of way to look at that. You don't just want what's comfortable. You also want to avoid what's uncomfortable. That's also what's happening when you are partial towards someone. If you were here the first week, you know that James encourages us to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And so one thing I want us to consider is this this idea of of you as a Christ follower not being partial. What if that is a trial for you? Doing life with others you normally don't vibe with, that can be viewed as a trial. That can be viewed as something that that the Lord uses to, to sanctify you and grow you to conform more to the image of Christ. And he can use that for you to show care and love and the love of God to others. The second desire to consider, so first was comfort, next is self-gain. Right, so in James's example in verses 2 through 4, we can assume that the Christians here, um, they, they, they thought they were going to get something from the rich people. Right, whether it was a big tithe or uh, status or influence. They likely thought that, that serving and honoring the rich at the expense of the poor was to their benefit. Right? Or think about the example we gave with, with this high-ranking executive and the church member. Right? There's, there's clearly one person where you receive some sort of benefit by interacting with them over the other. And then ultimately, you have to ask, what's going on in our hearts? It's not just do or don't do this, right? but rather valuing people for the wrong reasons. Right? For what they can give you, it's, it's honestly valuing people as objects. And so what's happening is, is our desires... In these scenarios, they're disordered. Or Augustine uses the phrases, uh, disordered loves. And so our love for the other person is disordered because we're putting what they can give us above just the fact that they're created in the image of God. And they're worthy of, of value and dignity and respect in the same way as anyone else. One commentator speaking um, of this passage says, The improper division being made among the visitors in James 2 in the assembly is nothing more than a reflection of the improper divisions harbored in the minds of the believers. The improper division being made among the visitors is nothing more than a reflection of the improper divisions harbored in the minds of believers. So in other words, it's a bigger problem than honor and dishonor. It's a bigger problem than just communicating with one person and not communicating with the other. It's a bigger problem than caring for one person and not caring for the other. It's really an improper valuing and devaluing of people. And it's also easy for us, I think, with these kind of things to fall into the trap that who I hang out with, who I spend time with, that's up to me. I, I control that area of my life. That feels natural. I would argue it's not most people's disposition to, to ask God, God, who do you want me to be friends with? Who do you want me to hang out with? Who do you want me to spend Sunday after church with? Right? It's usually who do I get along with? Who makes me comfortable? Or who can give me something? Right? So those, I think, I would argue, those are kind of two desires that are at play when we're partial towards other people. Comfort. And self-gain. But now James uses the rest of this passage, verse 5 onward, to remind us of of the dangers within partiality. He answers the question what what is dangerous about partiality, and why is it wrong? And I'm going to read verses five through thirteen just one time. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man are not the rich ones who are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called Oops. if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well but if you show partiality you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all for he who said do not commit murder or do not commit adultery also said do not murder If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you will become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So this whole section is, there's a lot going on, but at large you can kind of just say, James is going to great lengths. Great lengths. He spends an incredible amount of time just proving the point that partiality is serious. It's a serious sin. And so maybe... James's original audience maybe they thought it wasn't a big deal, right? Like maybe it's not great, but surely this isn't on the same level as adultery. Surely this isn't on the same level as murder, but James quickly refutes that. He spends a lot of time doing it. So versus 5 Dangerous, it is wrong because it goes against God, it goes against others, and it goes against the law. First, partiality goes against God and the way God values others. We see this in verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So in other words, James is pleading people not to be partial uh, because it's not how God operates. That's not how God has ordered his kingdom. right? And it goes against his very character. And I think ultimately you boil it down, like that's the issue, right? We're told to show no partiality, not as a, a simple rule, but as a reflection, right? A reflection of, of God and his very character. God choosing King David. God appoints this prophet Samuel to, to go and, and find the next king of Israel. And Samuel connects with this guy named Jesse. And Jesse has like 20 million sons. And uh, he, he, one by one, each son comes out. Right? The, the first two, they're, they're tall, they're handsome. Samuel thinks, surely this is it. Surely these guys are, one of these guys is the next king. And God literally says to Samuel, he says this, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And every time Jesse brought one of his sons, God just kept slaping left, right? No, 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 no. And then finally, Samuel's like, what? is this a mistake? Am I hearing you wrong, Lord? What's going on? And Jesse didn't even consider David, right? His youngest son, who was a shepherd in the field. And so Samuel says, go get him and... and, and Jesse brings in David and I have to imagine David, you know, out in a field with sheep, like probably not the most, um, wearing the most attractive clothing, probably smells, sweaty. And God says, that's the guy. That's the guy I want. The youngest, the smelliest. (laughs) That's the guy I want. Another story that always gets me is the story of Leah in Genesis 29. Keep wanting to say Leah. (laughs) It's not Leah. (laughs) It's Leah. I've been watching too much Kenobi. <laughs> Leah. Leah's father uh, uh, tricked this man named Jacob into marrying um, Leah. And, and Jacob actually went to marry uh, Leah's sister, Rachel. Right? And so Jacob served for seven years to marry Rachel, and then Leah's father tricked him. He married Leah. And Jacob eventually married Rachel, too. Um, but throughout Leah's entire life, she was in some way, shape, or form kind of on the receiving end of the things we've been talking about. Right? People were partial towards others over her. Jacob, her very own husband, loved Rachel a lot more. Genesis 29, it literally says that, that Leah was hated. And verse 31 is kind of where I always get choked up a little bit. It says, The Lord saw that Leah was hated, and he opened her womb and gave her a child. In other words... God saw that she was hated and he had compassion on her. Yes, because God loved her, but also because God's impartial. We serve a God who's not partial. And ultimately, look to Jesus, right? God in the flesh. God, fully God, fully man, fully perfect in every way, obedient to the Father in every way. He lived a perfect life, yet it's kind of surprising who he hung out with. Right? We look back 2,000 years later having this, this full Bible, this full account of, of his life and, and everything that points to him. And so we kind of understand, yeah, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners, but look at how the Pharisees and other people around him reacted when they saw him hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Our Lord is not partial. So partiality is dangerous because it goes against God. The second reason, reason James tells us that partiality is dangerous is because it goes against others. And more specifically, it honors one at the expense of the other. And James also says that this example in particular, it's really illogical to honor the rich. Verse 6, James calls them out and says, but you have dishonored the poor man. So again, it's not just that you chose to honor someone, because we are, all told, we are told to honor people, but it's that you did so at the expense of someone else, knowingly. All right, so partiality, it doesn't just look bad on you. It's not just something you got to figure out between you and God. It comes at a cost. Right? It hurts other people, whether you see it or not. And, and as a slight aside, some of you here, you, you, you no doubt, you, you hear this text, you hear this idea of showing no partiality, and you're like, yes, like, of course. But you yourself know that you're on the receiving end of that. Right? Maybe you feel like the, the, the poor man that's told to, to stand on the side Or maybe you've had experiences in church where you feel like Christians have favored other people over you. Or maybe in some way, shape, or form, you just have continuously felt like an outcast. Every circle you jump into, work, church, school, friends, you just kind of feel like the one in the background. Here's the thing you need to remember. Your Heavenly Father does not feel bad. Justice ...for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner. In other words, God cares about those that society is inclined not to. God loves those whose society typically doesn't. God serves those society typically doesn't. And again, looking to Jesus as, as our ultimate example, this is, this, this is kind of all over the Gospels, right? It's this idea that, that, that Jesus, he moves towards those who feel rejected, Jesus moves towards those who feel dejected. Jesus moves toward those who feel alone and like outcasts, right? And in some senses, it's the very thing that draws him to those people. The fact that they're broken, the fact that they feel alone, Jesus moves towards them. And I think this is where the preconceived notions about Jesus that you might come in with, they completely start to shatter. Some of you here, you came here thinking, I don't really want to be here because I need to get my life put together and then I can go to church and then I can be in God's presence. The scripture says, no. I see you're broken. I see you're not put together. I'm moving towards you. Consider the Samaritan woman in John 4. At first glance, this holy son of God, perfect in every way. What does he have to do with this woman? Again, Jesus is shattering preconceived notions. Jesus is shattering this idea of being partial towards some. This woman he interacts with, she's, first off, she's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They don't interact with each other. Think the most outspoken Republican you know and the most outspoken Democrat you know. Think the most outspoken BLM advocate you know and the most outspoken All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter advocate you know. Secondly, she's, she's had multiple marriages. I think it's five. Jews in that day would have looked down on something like that. Not only that, she's sleeping with a guy that now, that's not her husband. Right? And she probably hasn't stepped foot in a church or in a synagogue for years, I have to guess, because of those reasons. Right? And, and here she is, interacting with Jesus, God in the flesh, looking in the eyes of God, all her sin, all her past, Everything seems to say, Jesus, God, should not approve of this woman. Yet he doesn't condemn her. He offers her life. He says, everyone who drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. Dane Ortland says, when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct, is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. Our God is impartial. that is Those who extend partiality, who, who, who practice that, we have to remember, it hurts people and you might not see it. And when you consider the effect that partiality has, it could be, it could be that your partiality is the very thing keeping someone from hearing the gospel. That I'm, on, I'm preaching myself too. My failure to invite certain people into my life could be the very reason they haven't heard the gospel yet. My unwillingness to step out of my comfort zone or uh, interact with someone that's a little bit different, different than me could be the very reason They have not heard the good news. could be the very reason that they haven't heard that that if they trust in Christ, God forgives them, God loves them, God welcomes them in. And my preferences are the things standing in the way of that. James also makes the point that they went out of their way to honor the very people that would then dishonor them. He says, why are you partial towards these people? They They speak badly about Jesus. They speak badly about the Lord. They spit back in your face. Now, here arises a question. Well, doesn't Jesus tell us to, um, you know, walk with those who would even sue us or give them the cloak off of our back? Yes, he does, but not at the expense of someone else. And that's what was happening here. They're honoring the rich at the expense of the poor. And so Jesus does call us to honor people that might blaspheme his name, but he doesn't call us to do it at the expense of someone else, and he doesn't call us to do it for the reason of self-gain. The last reason James tells us partiality is wrong, or kind of tells us the dangers of, of partiality, is verses 8 through 13. I mean, he's basically making the point that partiality fails to uphold the command to love your neighbor as yourself partiality is not just a failure to uphold that, it's kind of the opposite of that, the antithesis of that. Right? And to back up the seriousness of, of that, he also makes the claim that if you sin in just one particular way, you're actually held guilty for the entirety of the law. And at first glance, that's not fair. Right? That feels like it's not fair. But we have to remember, when we sin, we aren't just sinning against a sentence in the book. We aren't just sinning against scripture. We're not even necessarily just sinning against someone else. We're sinning against a holy, perfect God. And it's not just a slight knock against God. Sin is the very opposite of who he is. It's the very opposite of his being. It goes against not just a small part of him. It goes against the entirety of who God is. One commentator made some clarifying comments that help Understand this, the individual commands of the law are part and parcel of one indivisible whole because they reflect the will of the one lawgiver. To violate a commandment is to disobey God himself and render a person guilty before him. In other words, we are fully guilty because sin is fully against God. I've heard this illustration before here, but it fits too well. Uh, If I am faithful to my wife 99.999% of the time, but one night I'm not, am I faithful to my wife? I am not. I am unfaithful. And so James is using this idea of, of standing under condemnation for the whole law. That's a, that's a, that's a big concept. That's a big thing to, to kind of understand and, and, and think about. He's using that huge concept to uphold his point that partiality is more dangerous than you think. James is extremely concerned with partiality in the church. James is extremely concerned of partiality in the lives of Christians. Also reminds us as he closes and as we start to close that this in this passage to speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Law of liberty, he used that in James 1. I kind of like that he, he uses that, that idea. It seems uh, counterintuitive, but in other words, to he, he's telling us to speak and act as those who belong to Christ. And he uses the term law of liberty as a way to make a distinction um, that the freedom That you get in Christ is actually what gives you the ability to obey. It seems counterintuitive, but it's the bondage to Christ that gives you the ability to obey in the first place. It's the bondage to Christ that gives you the ability to be in a relationship with the Lord. Speak and act as those who belong to Christ means to act without partiality because Jesus was perfectly impartial. So as we close, just some things to think about as we consider partiality in our own lives. Like James has been saying, we got to take it seriously. It's not just who do you like to hang out with and who do you not like to hang out with. It's not just who do you vibe with and who do you not vibe with. It's who does God want you to interact with and care for and love So we have to take it seriously. It needs to be something we dig out of our own lives. right? What's really going on when we're partial towards someone else? Is it comfort? Is it self-gain? Something else? Get to the root of that. Figure it out. Ask someone close to you, hey, why do you think I'm friends with certain people? Why do you think we're friends? Kind of awkward, but... (laughs) Maybe that's a good question. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe don't do that, actually. I kind of take that back. (laughs) But also examining who's regularly in your life. Who's at your dinner table? Do they all look like you, talk like you? Examine your life and ask, where might I be partial towards other people? Where am I? And partiality, like that's the word he uses, but I think I like just the idea of valuing and devaluing people improperly. That just feels a little bit heavier, right? Where are you not valuing people as other humans made in the image of God? Where in your life are you not doing that? If you want to be like Jesus, the very people you're probably inclined not to be around, the very people you probably don't feel comfortable around are probably the very people that you need to go be with in some way, shape, or form. Partiality more dangerous than you think. Uh, we're gonna move into a time of communion now. Um, we have to take communion in the hallways because we can't have food or drink here. So um, as the band plays this next song, um, you can just get up and kind of head out those side doors. This is the one part of service where we ask you if you're not a Christian. Um, to not partake in this. We think this is something that scripture is clear. This is reserved for Christians only. If it makes you feel better, if you don't want to stay in your seat, you can walk out with everyone else and then just come right back in and not take communion. That's okay. I've seen people do that. Um, So I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are impartial towards us. We praise you because if you were partial in any way, it wouldn't be towards us. So God, help us to reflect you. Help us to reflect your character to others. Help us to care and love for everyone with an impartial love, with your love. God, reveal areas in our lives where we're inclined to be partial towards others, whether it's comfort or our own benefit, God. Lord, Help us to think through that this week. Help us to act on that this week. In your name we pray and ask these things. Amen.